Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, joined by my friend and co-host, Tamarcus Raglan, and today we are excited to have a conversation with Preston Sprinkle, president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, a prolific writer on topics around gender and Christianity, and the host of the podcast, Theology in the Raw, a much better podcast than this one, I might (laughs) add, so please check him out. I'm really excited about the conversation, so let's get started. Preston, thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe before we jump into everything, I know we gave like a little uh, a little intro there on you, but um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Something we left out that uh, that you think is important for our listeners to know. <laughs> well, as you can as you guys can tell, I'm a diehard Dodger fan. Uh, but nice. I, I don't know if you listen to me for more than a few minutes, you probably gather that. Um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm 46 years old, married to my wife. We're coming up on um, 20, oh, what is it? Gosh, 21 years of marriage. Congrats, we have four man. kids. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's well, it. yeah. <laughs> those, are the, those are the most important things, uh, honestly, really? and uh, <laughs> especially the Dodgers. Just kidding. But okay. Um, well, let's, let's dive in because honestly, I think this, the topic we're talking about today, gender, you wrote a book called Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. We were talking kind of off air for a second and just talking about how important I think this book is and how it brings together so many elements. Um, like we were saying, kind of psychology elements, research elements, biblical theology, systematic theology, and kind of tries to wrestle through this topic. Um, and I think it's the best book out there. I'll just say it. So uh, maybe the the best place to start is just what was the catalyst for writing the book? It's not an easy topic. Uh, these are polarizing views. I think most people yeah. are kind of, you know, probably scared to step into the controversy these days, but you with courage stepped in and really wrote something helpful. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great place to start. You know, I, I, um, it, it, in some ways it's an extension of my previous work on sexuality. So I came out with a book on what the Bible says about homosexuality back in, I think 2015. And, um, immediately in, in the wake of publishing that book, I realized that, man, I, I need to really get my my mind and heart around the gender side of this conversation, the the yeah. T of the LGBT. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, Christians included, you know, we just kind of collapse LGBT or LGBTQ plus altogether, but there's a massive difference between the T and LGB, you know, uh, being gay, lesbian, or bisexual has to do with who you're sexually attracted to, but the T has to do with who you identify as and has nothing to do with sexuality intrinsically. Mm. Yeah. So I'll have people, you know, when I was coming out with a book embodied, they're like, didn't you already write that book? Is this like part two (laughs) or an updated version? I said, well, actually there's about a 1% overlap between (laughs) my book on transgender identities, my book on homosexuality. And Mm. and the fact that some people are kind of like, don't have a category for that. Like, well, I don't get it. And yeah, you got to read the book. You read both books really. You'll see that. We're just, we're, we're, we're wrestling with very different categories. And, And I'm glad you noticed that there's, you know, a lot of different disciplines that go into this. Um, Cause that really, this for several reasons, this was the hardest book that I've ever written. Mm. And part of it was just the sheer number of different academic disciplines that you can never be an expert in them all, but you, you do have to be somewhat well-versed in 
many of them to, to give a responsible, um, you know, answer to some of the questions that come up. So yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but I'm, I'm excited with, um, I'm excited with how it came out. Yeah. Something that we really appreciated also about the book was just how, um, carefully you approached, uh, the topic. Like I, I think something that I, as I think of some of my favorite books I've even read of late, like the, those that incorporate story, uh, actual story. Yeah. And you do a lot of that of pulling in like, Hey, this isn't just like some like straw man that I'm talking about. These are people that I know. These are folks that are in my church that I'm encountering. Um, and it really helps, uh, kind of paint the picture. And you did a similar thing in your last book. And so, but yeah, you did a similar thing in your last book, maybe cause you talk about how, how did maybe some of those voices, uh, shape how you, um, how you wrote or was it, was there a particular kind of conversation or a or, or person that kind of sparked like, yeah. Hey, I need to, I need to talk more about the T in, um, in the LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Community. That's a great question. And not, man, my response would probably have many layers to it. You know, you know, with, with you know, like for years, um, Christians were able to kind of distance the debate about homosexuality with actual gay and lesbian people. Uh, I, I feel like over the years, especially the last 10 years, that, that distance is kind of closed a little bit. Like yeah. most Christians, at least that I talk to, you know, they've got gay and lesbian friends, they have coworkers. It's not that out there anymore, you know? Um, but the trans conversation still for a lot of Christians who are pretty engaged in the culture. I, I get a lot of Christians that say, I, I don't know any trans people or, or gosh, if I met one of them, you know, this, <laughs> uh, what would I do? You know, I'm like, I don't know, just ask them what their name is and get to know them and take them out for lunch, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> just feel like you would anybody else, you know? Um, but I, so I do think there is still this unfamiliarity with the topic slash people that does sometimes breed fear or nervousness, you know? Um, so, so parts to answer your question, having gotten to know many trans people over the years, some of whom are close friends of mine, you know, p- part of, the motivation of telling the stories is to just humanize the conversation, hmm. humanize and diversify. Yeah. You know, I have trans friends who are theologically conservative, believe in traditional marriage and voted for Donald Trump and people don't know how to, what to do with that. You know? Um, and so I think part of it is yeah, getting rid of the stereotypes, showing that there's a diverse range of people who have a diverse range of viewpoints on the trans conversation. You know, I, I know trans met one trans person along the way who's a atheist um, transitioned several years ago and is against transitioning thinks it's the worst decision they've ever made you know um, other trans people who are happy they transition other people who have no desire to even transition like I'm trans but I don't even believe it like I'm not that's not a category I'm even thinking about so just exposing people to the wide diversity of actual individuals so that the guards can come down and we can kind of get to know real people in in the process. Yeah. That's really good. I want to talk about the fact that I want to get there in a minute and, and explore it more because one of the things I think your big book did such a good job of is showing that the trans community, trans community is not a monolith. And right. maybe we'll just, maybe I'll just ask the question now, but um, yeah. you know, that, that's what is one of the things that is fascinating is maybe it's because so it's not that the phenomenon of being trans is new. I don't mean it that way, right. but it seems like in terms of the cultural conversation, yeah. there hasn't been time for people to, I think maybe in media, maybe especially in social media, it seems like people are starting to become a little more entrenched, you know, in their views, but it's hard to talk about 
the trans community as a monolith in terms of like a voting block or a this or a that, right. you know, I think again, they're represented maybe on social media as being really progressive, but I, I think it's too new for that. I think that's probably really not nuanced enough. And, and you point that out. Um, and, and so I, I guess I want to ask this, you, you mentioned to it a minute, you mentioned it a minute ago, you have an atheist friend who's against transitioning some people who are conservative and voting for Trump. I'm sure some people are like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but with some of the more controversial issues that we can get into in a minute, maybe it's the, maybe it's bathroom laws, maybe it's female athletics, mm-hmm. maybe it's hormone and surgical intervention for minors. Do you feel like there is a consensus within the trans community itself around the more hot button issues? I think the media wants to maybe portray it that way. And I, I don't yeah. like to say that word again. I'd say maybe you feel that way if you're on Twitter or yeah. something, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there a consensus? Yeah, that's an easy it's probably the easiest question that you'll you'll ask me all, all <laughs> during the whole interview. Yeah. The answer is a, a bold face, flat out, hundred percent. No, there's no consensus at all. Like, yeah, is there a consensus among straight people or Christians on anything? Anything? Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. Well, like okay, we're on the broad umbrella of Christians, but man, you survey a hundred Christians across a hundred different churches and a hundred different ages, and you're gonna get a hundred different answers on whatever question you ask. So. Um, I, I would say some of the big umbrella differences are teenage transition, like 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 teenagers identifying as trans who pursue some kind of medical intervention. That's a big hot button question within the trans community. Interesting. Most older trans people are adamantly against teenagers transitioning. That's mm. something you will hardly hear on the media, although it's starting to. There's, it's starting to get out. Um, there's some well-known um, personalities like uh, Buck Angel is one yeah. who's a male to female trans person, not religious at all, and is very concerned with the high rates of teenagers identifying as trans and transitioning, very outspoken. Um, another friend of mine, um, Scott Nugent, lesser known, but very much against teenagers transition or even Blair White. Blair White's a very famous YouTuber, million followers. In fact, she just had a conversation with Buck Angel and again, male to female, um, not religious, politically conservative for the most part. And she, and she's not that old. She's probably mid twenties and uh, transition, very happy she transitioned, but she says, I'm a, it's, it's a very small percentage of trans identified people who probably should transition and will be happy with that. Like we need to put the brakes on this, what she would say is just kind of social like um, craze going along among among teenagers who are, you know, identifying as non-binary, taking hormones and, and all these things. So um, yeah, I, I would say that's a big trend to tension. And, and even within that, what does it mean to be trans? Um, a lot of trans identified people debate that. Um, some people typically younger will say, well, if I say I'm trans, I'm trans. I'm kind of, they call it the self ID perspective. I self declare who I am and that's who I am. And you better affirm me or if not get out of my life. Other people say like Blair White would say, you know, no, you need to, if you're not been, if you haven't been medically diagnosed with a professional diagnosed with gender dysphoria, then you're not really trans and gender dysphoria is a very rare condition. According to the DSM 0.014% you know, might be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Well, you know, when some high schools, when 10% of the population are identified as trans, it's like, would 
statistically, they all probably would not be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. So that's a big debate. Like, what does it mean to act? What qualifies someone for being actually trans? And again, when I say debate, this is in inside the greater trans community. So, and there's other. Yeah, you know, no, I think I, I think one of the things that, and and that's part of the topic I really wanted to start out getting into was just. Um, I was surprised and I'm so thankful I read the book. And if you're somebody who's interested in the topic and wants to know how to engage with other human beings who may be struggling, it's like, man, there is so much that is assumed about the conversation. And you just mentioned a couple of them. Like, I'm sure there's people who are listening who are like, that's an internal dialogue within the trans community that somebody has to be actually diagnosed or the self-ID. And so my question is this. This is a topic that can easily get really confusing. Um, you, you, Even the way you write the the term in the book, it's the first time I've seen it, but it, it may obviously makes sense. But trans with an asterisk. Um, yeah. It's it's like what's crazy is when you say when you even say trans and we were just doing it it seems to need endless prefaces endless nuance uh, just you know just gosh you got to peel all these layers back um, understanding terms pronouns trans people you mentioned there's trans people who uh, understand that understand the term ontologically like when I say I am female I am female there's other people it's like no I'm trying to explain my experience of how I feel right. right. And it just, there's so much there. So I guess my question is, um, what do we need to know? <laughs> like, like if at <laughs> bottom, like with all this, I, cause I think what I try to remember is for when, whenever we're doing these, these shows, what I try to remember is there, there are a lot of people out there, a lot of Christians out there who have really good hearts. They're, they, yes, they hit clickbait like we always do. Maybe we say things off the cuff because of the, the world we live in and the culture wars. But I think a lot of people just really want to know how to be Christians to these other people. And it's like, with a with a topic that is this opaque and obtuse at times, it can be like, I'm just trying to get up in the morning, get my kids to school, go to my job and make sure my family has something to eat. Like life is hard, right? right and right, so to yeah. try to like f- to dissect all these little, well, no, I mean, I'm a woman, I, all this stuff. It's like, it can, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it can be, it can feel like a little too much. So yeah, how did you? What did you do? How did you? What would you tell people yeah. who are in that place? Yeah, it's it is it is overwhelming. And you know, my main, you know, I wake up every day, and my day job is helping the church understand LGBTQ questions. So I so I understand this is my world. It's not everybody's world. There's especially people in ministry, man. You got you know people you're trying to marry and bury, and yeah, and some people you other people you wish you can bury, you know, and trying to make budget, prepare a message. So I understand that all of us have more things on our plate than we know what to do with. So I totally get that. I still want to make a case that in 2022, that the specific topic of trans identities has become pervasive enough that it wouldn't hurt for most Christians to read a book, maybe two on the topic. And I'm not promoting my book, but there's the, Read my book. Read we'll another promote book. it for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> read one that's biblically faithful, yeah. that understands the complexity, that is well-versed in the science. So whichever one you feel like does that, then, then go for it. But um, it, it wouldn't, in 2022, whether this topic is close at hand to you, I mean, if you're, if you are married and have children, there's a very good 
chance that you're going to have to disciple your kids in this conversation at some point. Um, if they come to you with some questions and you say, oh, I don't know, I don't, I haven't really studied it, then their questions won't go away. Just your kid will go away to ask somebody else. So do you want to have a, your, your kid's going to be discipled in this conversation. Do you want to play some role in that discipleship journey is a question, but you're not going to play a good role unless you have read maybe a book or two. Mm. I would also encourage Christians to don't let your favorite political pundits be your educator in this conversation because even and I rarely name names, but let me, let me just, let me just divide the house here. You know, um, Ben Shapiro is, is really smart. Okay. Really smart. The guy, you know, whatever you think of him, everybody would say the guy's got a brick, you know, he reads like a couple books a day, memorizes. I mean, the guy's really brilliant when it comes to this conversation. It's embarrassing how sloppy he is. Mm. Um, don't let him disciple you. And let me just flip it around. I don't know. Pick your favorite. Um, definitely don't let the Democratic Party disciple you in this conversation. They, they, they say so many things that are not just bizarrely unscientific. Um, you know, the follow the science people don't follow the science when it comes to basic questions about human anthropology. Um, and a lot of it's just ideologically driven. So don't rely on the political pundits. Don't rely on clickbait headlines. Don't just rely on the debate about female males biological males and female athletics. Like th- th- those are our important, these are important things to wrestle with, but um, the, the greater public is trying to get you angry, stir your heart. They, they want your money. They want your advertising. <laughs> like they're using you is what I'm saying. Christian, they're using you right. to serve their agenda. They don't care about discipling you in a robust, healthy way to think this topic. So let's set aside all of that stuff and let's, let's, let's dive into this topic with grace and truth and biblical awareness and, and um, let, let, let that kind of guide you. But so all, all that say in 2022, it, it's among the top, maybe five, I don't know, pressing things that Christians should have an, inf- an informed opinion on because it's just not a fringe topic anymore. Yeah. 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 I want to kind of ask a two part question. I want to preface it by, it's kind of going along the lines of, uh, like I say, again, the way you um, really set up there not being a monolith um, in this conversation, um, just thinking in my own life of, of friends and, and peers that I know that um, are touched by this conversation or would, would uh, identify as such, was almost embarrassed as the point as I started to go through it and see like, man, just how how little I've taken the time, not just um, obviously being able to talk about these things with them, but specifically just like gaining their own perspective of like, how are, like, how are you processing this? Like, what is, what is this like? Like, tell me about, yeah, like just, just give them the space to delve into those, those complexities rather than just like all the times where I've probably walked in with the preconceived right ideas. Um, so I guess the, the first part is in light of, in light of all of what we just discussed. And like you say, it being 2022, we want to move forward um, like what are where do you see you know for those listening like where do you see this conversation and this this moving forward and then how can yeah. we as like parents to children pastors and churches um, friends with coworkers like what are what are some practical things um, you know the I want to say just the low hanging fruit of like man you can you can start without having read a book yet 
obviously like yeah. plant pick up his pick up and body you should read that um but it's like before you even pick up a book like you can go to work tomorrow and you can engage with a coworker in this way like what would you what yeah. would you say uh, no that's great that's great um it sounds maybe it sounds cliche but i because I, I say it so much but maybe it's somewhat new to people um you know it's christians we need we need to become better listeners and and really like learn learn from other people that doesn't mean listening to somebody else's viewpoint means you're validating the viewpoint but there's just there's so many i mean you you said it you, there's so many assumptions you we come into you know hot topics or we think times if you let people explain their view it's like oh that's more nuanced than i thought or i didn't expect that or i would have assumed you would have thought this or that so just um as much as I'm, I'm advocating educating ourselves in this conversation, don't don't be afraid to go about that education process slowly and humbly. You know, yeah. Talk to people, listen to somebody, especially if you have trans people in your you know workplace or in your environment. Like, be courageous enough to get to know them as a image of God bearer and somebody who is intelligent and has ideas and thoughts and has probably thought through this longer way way longer than we have. And you might be shocked at what they believe or don't believe, you know, so, um, be a, be a learner and you can't be a learner unless you're a good, a good listener, um, without making assumptions about, you know, the person you're, you're listening to. And, and yeah, that's something you don't need to read it, but you can learn a lot in this conversation by listening. Now I, I do want to say just because somebody has the lived experience that that's an, that's a really important part of this conversation. So, you know, somebody's lived experience brings an important part to the conversation, but it still is incomplete. Just like if you read a book and never talked to a trans person, your knowledge would be incomplete. It's not an either or, but a, but a, a both. both end. End. So, yeah. yeah, while you're waiting for your book to arrive from Amazon <laughs> um, and you're working through that, like always complement reading and studying the intellectual side with the relational side, learning from people who, who might be walking this journey, you know, on, on a relational level. Well, we've covered some things that I think are really important in terms of, and I could ask you so many more questions your, that your book covers, which is sort of the, the side of what is, it, what is transgender? What does it mean? I'm sure we could dive even deeper there if we need to. But the other part of the book that's so wonderful that you do is you examine the Bible and what it says uh, about this topic. Yeah. And you don't do so with like pat answers or in a trite way. It's like, you know, it's not like, well, in the beginning, there it is. That's it. That You say that, but there's more to it. And so, you know, I mean, you don't have to do the whole book, but what if you could... Yeah. press people about this. What, what do you think as it relates to maybe approach it one from the concept of gen of, of uh, sex, sex of female, biological sex, male and female, and then gender in uh, those two topics. How do you see the Bible address each one? That's a right, big that's, question. That's a great way. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way of framing it. No, that's, okay. that's, that's uh, I, I could tell you read the book by even by asking <laughs> the question that way. Yeah. Um, let me start. So yeah, biblically, and th this is another reason why the LGB is different from the T. Like when it comes to marriage, sexual ethics, we, we've got a lot, of, a lot of really explicit stuff in the Bible to go on. Right. right. I mean, there's clear. I, I, okay, my my perspective. You know, there's clear statements about male and female joining in a one flesh relationship, and and we would call that marriage. And right. there's other statements about sexual ethics, and you have multiple things that go on. Um, when it comes to the trans conversation, first of all, what questions are we even asking? 
well, is it a sin to be trans? What do you mean by trans? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you mean like girls have to wear pink dresses? And if you don't like that, then that's a problem. Or do you, uh, gender dysphoria is a psychological condition. Is that a sin to experience that or transitioning or what kind of transitioning? Can you take porn? There's so many, we don't even know what questions to ask, you know? So the trans conversation, when when you're asking, what does the Bible say about it? Just unraveling the it is something that is really complicated. So, so let me boil it down to this. And then this, if you read the book, you might remember that I framed this question this way. One of the main fundamental questions on a theological level is if someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and what's called today their gender identity, which is simply their internal sense of who they are. So you have the extra, your biological sex is one thing. And then your internal sense says, no, I'm not that, or I don't like that. Then which one are they and why? Okay. So someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex, their gender identity, which one wins out? Which one's a more accurate description of who they are? Who does God see that person as? Now, most people will just, most Christians would say, well, their biological sex, you know, wins out. And I do, not, that's where I end up. That's where I end up concluding. Right. But I, as you know, I mean, it, it took me several chapters and years of research to kind of get there because there's, there's more complexity there than some people realize. So when it, going back to the Bible, I, while there's no explicit kind of statement on this and you're kind of working with theological themes, the one main theme that I think is important is that um, beginning in Genesis 127, the Bible does correlate our image-bearing status with our biological sex. Uh, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's like a, over, like a correlation there between the fact that God created us as sexed and bodied humans, male and female. And then it's, it's kind of associated somehow with bearing God's image. And, and you see all throughout scripture that our bodies, our sexed bodies are not some neutral canvas that sort of covers the real you like that, that kind of view of human nature doesn't square with mm-hmm. scripture. So um, that's where I kind of, you know, cautiously and hopefully with some nuance said, no, I, I, I do think that in as much as our biological sex is clear, you know, for some people there's some ambiguity there, but I think that's a separate conversation um, that if you are clearly male or clearly female, then that, that is an important part of your human identity, even if your internal sense of self doesn't resonate with that. So that's, that's kind of a theological position I, I kind of landed at, but man, relationally, psychologically, there's still some tensions here and complexity that I don't want to, you know, um, I want to be humble and cautious, you know, in, in how I even um, apply that theology in every single situation. Yeah. So, um, I feel like in conversation like that, there's always, there's always a theological approach to where you can have a question like this and you can either simpl- like simplify the theology and almost, like you say, just give kind of a very, very pet answer. Um, or you can look at the complexities of the question and say, actually, to, to more fully answer this and to give it the attention it needs, like we need a more robust understanding of what the theology is saying. And I feel like you offered that yeah. in the book. Like it those are passages that I've read and studied, you know, time and time again. And it's like this, this help expand and say something in a, in a fresh, more nuanced way that helped help get at um, what this is all about. That was, that was very helpful. I don't know, maybe, maybe to kind of tease that out more. Cause I, th- I thought something that was helpful there 
there was a statement you made in the book. You said, we're not um, merely souls that are in a body, but we're embodied souls. Um, yeah. That just landed uh, just so clean. Uh, could, could you talk, talk a little bit about even just yeah. some of that language and the difference you were making there? Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say I would start. So from, from Augustine onward, so what, fourth, fifth century major church leader, like Augustine had kind of a, what some people call like a Neoplatonic view of human nature coming from Plato, you know, where it just without parsing it all out, just kind of had a more strict division between body and soul, the material you and the immaterial you that kind of elevated the soul over the body. And that, that just became really common ever since Augustine for Christians to, to think that way. But within like biblical scholarship, um, probably over maybe even 80, 100 years ago, there, there was, as people kind of revisited the scriptures and said, well, what does the Bible say? about human nature and, and most biblical scholars, you know, would kind of disagree with Augustine on that saying, you know what, the, the, if you look at what the whole Bible says about human nature, really, it really kind of treats human nature as an integrated whole. Like, yes, there's a immaterial part of us and consciousness and everything, but the, the a Judeo-Christian view of human nature really has a, we don't just have a body. We are a body. You're like, you know, like, well, you quoted me, I guess. <laughs> and it's sold body, like, I don't, and you do have some passages granted that body soul seems to be kind of distinct yeah. and some people just go to those passages, but you have other passages that, you know, yeah, you have past. So the, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh and the Greek word is suke. And you have several passages in the old Testament and new Testament that refer to the whole person as nephesh as a soul. Um, I mean, the first in Genesis two, God breathed in the nostrils of Adam and he became a living nephesh, a living soul. Is with a body, you know, as a body, not with a body, mm-hmm. you know. And, and again, this is something that people who study, you know, the, the Bible closely don't. There's not a ton of dispute with this. That that it's just really hard to unravel. Well, here here's what I'd say: it's really hard to say as a Christian um, that the real you is the invisible, immaterial you, and this material you, this body that you have, is just kind of a secondary, like that that kind mm-hmm. of way of thinking. Even though it's very popular in the church in the West, at least, right? This really doesn't square with a biblical view of, of, of human nature. So, um, I forgot what the question was. No, I think <laughs> no, I know. You answered I, it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so okay. important. The, okay. bo- the book itself is called Embodied, right? But I think I love yeah. what you're saying because it's like, yes, the the. Um, that idea of like what we really are is like we'll die and then this thing comes out of us and we get in a cloud and I'm I'm being I'm like overstating it right but like there is this yeah. some weird sense that that happened that that we've got yeah I am uh my body is like it's it is it's the Platonist view you know my body is sort of the corrupted like um, right you know bad thing that sort of Gnosticism or whatever and what's really me is this immaterial thing on the inside and I think it's so important to recover not because of the trans topic but just biblical yeah. fidelity and and everything else yeah it's important to remember that that's that's not it we're we're not um, yeah th- these uh, we're not passengers inside of a flesh spaceship or something right like we are we're people. <laughs> We're people with bodies. That's right. who we are, and I, I do. Um, I think that point is so important, and it's why, and you know, relatedly, it's really important to the conversation around how do we understand ourselves and how do we understand ourselves as it relates to our identity. Um, but one thing I think it is important, and I don't mean to get tangential or get on a tangent, but um, 
It is really important because I know as people start to think about this topic, the topic of intersex comes up a lot, um, right. and which is people who basically can be born with externally ambiguous um, male and female features, or it could simply be uh, chromosomal or something like that. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, I thought it was so great to say, hey, we need to put that conversation aside. Um, that's not though we need to deal with intersex on its own um, because it's easy to kind of conflate, especially because I think yeah. what the here's what here's the train of the argument. I'm just I want to hear what you think about this, but I think people go, well, there's only male and female, and then the response is like, yeah, but I don't know if that's true. As you sort <laughs> of studied, did you kind of stumble into that accidentally yourself, sure. and then how did you resolve some of that? Yeah, yeah. The the intersex question always always, always, without exception, comes up right. early on in this, in this topic. And uh, I do think it's um, a very important part of the conversation, but it can be a bit of a red herring, right. a bit of a distraction from the main question. So, yeah, you, I mean, intersex is a colloquial term used to describe what medical professionals call disorders or differences of sex development, DSDs. And there is about anywhere from 16 to 20, or I've even seen you know, 20, 25 different um, medical conditions that would be classified as, as intersex, where somebody is born with some atypicality is the word I like to use, atypicality in either their sexual anatomy and or their sex chromosome. So you, I mean, you kind of already said that. Now, um, a couple really misunderstandings with the intersex conversation is if you just take the sheer percentage of people who ha are born with one, uh, some kind of intersex condition, it's been estimated that about 99%. Um, this comes from Leonard Sachs, a, a researcher in, in an article and other people have followed him. You know, if you look at the overwhelming majority of cases are really mild, meaning I, mean, I have friends that didn't even know they had an intersex condition until their mid twenties. So mm. it wasn't like, you know, they just, Maybe they had a chromosomal, you know, thing that they didn't even realize till they went and got tested. You know, one of the one of the symptoms of something like Klinefelter syndrome, which is in, classified as an intersex condition, is like, well, you, you experience balding and sometimes more fat around your chest. Um, you know, it's like, well, that does that? Well, I don't know what this person. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> they're still male. Yeah, you know, by right. by any kind of basic definition. So we can't associate intersex with neither male nor female and think that it's that clean. Also, even with some of the more extreme cases, and I have two, at least two friends that have, and I've met other people along the way that have really man, a whole blend of male and female anatomy. It's still important to understand that it's still a blend of male and female anatomy. In other words, to put it scientifically, and this is, shouldn't be disputed, but everything's disputed in 2022. Um, homo sapiens as mammals are a sexually dimorphic species. And right. I have to put it so like that because it's like earthworms are not. <laughs> right, right. Mammals are. Like uh, that's not, meaning we reproduce as a species when the gamut of one kind um, fuses with the gamut of another kind. And there's only two gamuts. There's ovaries and, and well, uh, egg and sperm. Right. Um, that's what it means to be sexually dimorphic. And the, and the English words we've used to categorize that dimorphism is male and female. Some males and some females have atypical features in the sexual anatomy. Some, it's so extreme where the male and female categories are blended, but male and female are still the only two sex categories. So all that to say, 
when people say, oh, no, we now know that sex is not binary, that is just an unscientific statement um, that's just not it's just not, it's not, you wouldn't want anybody operating on you in the ER who believes that. I mean, right. Bluntly. So, um, again, I forgot what your exact question. Oh, oh yeah. So, okay. So I'll, I'll bring it home. So some people look at the complexities, complexities of intersex and say, well, we know that intersex complicates the whole thing. And then they do it. Therefore, mm. some people could be born in the wrong body or they kind of map some of the intersex stuff onto the trans conversation but that's when that's why i spend a separate chapter on intersex right say let's just talk let's talk about intersex and then once we get our arms around that see if there's any parallels here and that's where i'm like well there might be some there might be some overlap here but you can't say since intersex therefore somebody's internal sense of who they are could be a better description of who they are than the biological sex like that leap just doesn't it just doesn't really work on an intellectual level no, that's really good. I I thought it was a fascinating part, and because that topic comes up so often, I think it was important to address. So I didn't mean to mm-hmm. bring us to a tangent, but maybe maybe the last, you know, just to honor your time, and honestly, we could go forever. I really could, you know. I <laughs> on that topic, I remember I read a book years ago about I think sex difference in Christian theology was the name of the book. I think the lady's name was Defenza oh, yeah. or something. It was a cool book about intersex and that yeah. topic and. There's a eunuch argument in it. You address that argument in the book, which is great. And for the theology nerds out there, there's this... Yeah, anyways, buy the book and read it. That's what I'll just say. Buy Embodied. It's great. But um, I think what I want to know is, given all this, you got a complex topic. You've got real people who are hurting. You've got the Bible saying things that it doesn't need to be taken sort of in a bald way or in a, in a in two you know bolded letters of a way of just like this is easy the bible it's really easy male and female and end of story yeah. well yeah we arrive there um but it's nuanced and i think we need to understand that how we arrive there is actually this really beautiful picture of how god created us embodied individuals um and the bible has really kind words to say jesus always approaches us gently um, and he's approaching these individuals gently. So I, I, you do such a good job of that. But I, the last piece I just want to ask um, from you is, you know, you address this in your last book uh, too, People to be Loved, but it's, I think, one area maybe Christians have not historically done well with is just to say, like, what's the church's role? What, what could we do? You know, what are we as Christians? What's our yeah. role? And in the past, we've just probably bungled this a little bit. We've just mishandled it. And so this is a new area where we could mishandle it. And you kind of give a perspective from one way or the other, right? We could be too... Well, I'll just let you answer it. But what should we do? What should we as Christians... Yeah. What should the church's role be in caring for, loving people who are trans? Yeah. I'll, I'll start by emphasizing two points from earlier that number one, we should care enough to be educated in the conversation. Um, there are complexities here that um, we would show that we love people if we take the time to understand it. Number two, again, listen to people, um, cultivate our understanding of the trans conversation by listening partly to actual trans people, not our favorite non-trans political pundit. <laughs> I'll get off that hobby horse. It's, it's kind of, a, yeah. Um, yeah. Realize that, I mean, I guess on that note, you know, there's a lot of clickbait headline headline stories that again are not unimportant. Um, they are important, but they don't capture the totality of the conversation for every biological male who's trying to, wants to play in female only athletics 
for every one of those, there's 500 to 1,000 trans people who might be wrestling with all kinds of things, um, might be wrestling with suicidality, might be um, looking for guidance on who did this God create me to be. Um, many people wrestling with their gender identity are, are in our churches and our youth groups, um, are, are married with children, are people you would not expect. And um, that, that's where my heart really beats is I, is I want to, I don't want to focus on the culture war. Not that, again, some of those issues aren't important, especially if they directly involve, you know, somebody in our churches. Um, but I don't want to let that cult, the culture war dictate, be the primary lens in which I view this topic. Um, I, I want to be alert to the real people in front of me who uh, are wrestling with, you know, who, who God created them to be. Mm. Um, we didn't really get too much into it, but like among youth, among Gen Z, there's just been a skyrocketing percentage of Gen Z, especially females identifying as, as trans. And th- there's a big debate about why that is and are they influenced by culture and society? And, and I think the answer is a qualified yes. Um, and, and then you get, you dig deeper into that. And a lot of these teens are wrestling with other mental health issues. They're wrestling with uniqueness. Who are they belonging? Where's my community? And I want to get underneath the surface of that and say, why are so many teenagers in our, in our churches wrestling with who am I wrestling with? Where's my community? Who, where do I belong? Um, maybe they have a big heart for justice, you know, which is, amazing because the Bible does too. And, and let's, let's direct some of these things in a, in a way that's gospel centered. And, yeah. um, and that's where I think your church has a golden opportunity to step in because we have a thing or two to say about belonging. We have a thing or two to say about our uniqueness as image bearers in Christ, you know? Um, and so I, yeah, the church has a great opportunity to, I think as we embody both grace and truth in this conversation, I, I think that is the greatest contribution we can make to the larger public, uh, debate as as it's become so grateful just to to hear your perspective i mean even as we're uh, just talking now as complex as it can be um maybe as hard as it might even be to keep up with all of the definitions and you know what's what where people are um i just feel like you're the biggest thing your book helped give a, a balance to the conversation uh helped us see uh some of the nuance so that we can approach it humbly and with love and lead with grace um, but then also that we do have like theological categories to think through these things, that there is a way um, to read our Bible um, in a way that is true to what the word says and to be able to uh, glean from it so that we can approach people um, and have these conversations in a good way. So, yeah, just super grateful for uh, the work you put in and um, yeah, just Thank the you. resource you've gifted yeah. to the church. Really, really appreciate yeah. you. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. You guys really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Culture Matters podcast. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Starrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of this podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can also support us on our patron page. Check the show notes for more information. See you next time.